Do you have an adult beverage? I have an adult beverage. I do not have an adult beverage. I've had a few of them tonight. <laughs> ah, good. Well, this is my first because I've had kids all day. So how much does Mike know about this mission? Oh, I don't know if any of us know anything about okay. it. Okay. <laughs> I know very, very little. You, you know what okay. you know what happened, I guess. So I kind of Yeah. Well, Pictures are I'm, on Facebook. I think we're okay. We'll be alright. So Alright, you ready? Cool, let's do it. Welcome to Logbook Memories, an aviation podcast about remembering and sharing our past flights. I'm David Allen, a student pilot. And I'm Michael Ladd, a private pilot. Guests on Logbook Memories look back through their pilot logbook to find a particularly interesting, adventurous, enjoyable, scary, or otherwise memorable flight. Then they come on here and share the story of that flight in their own words. Our next guest is ready to go, so let's mic him up. Our guest this week is Kirby Moen. He's uh, a friend of the a friend of the podcast and a friend of ours. And uh, Kirby, I've known you, I've known you since uh, I actually worked with you at a local company here in uh, in Melbourne, where I'm from. Um, but uh, you know, you're also a pilot, and we kind of built a, a relationship there. So uh, welcome, welcome to the show, Kirby. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some stories. Wow, man, I'm I'm excited to hear it. You know, and um, I remember I I I'm old enough to know you when you were only a private pilot. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't long after I got my private pilot's license that we started working to, uh, with each other and kind of through conversations, you know, at work discovered you know, our passion for aviation and uh, you know audio visual stuff and you know all the related things that kind of brought us here. Oh yeah, I forgot we also did the video stuff. Yeah. And, and that's funny. It's so it, it, once you find somebody who's into that same hobby, whatever it is, and in this case, it's aviation. It's like you have a common core of experience, and you can you can share conversations, and that's what's really fun. Yeah, like you're in the same hot tub together. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> but you uh, you've since gotten uh, gone and gotten your instrument rating, and uh, a friend of mine said, a friend of mine once said. Uh, fact fairly recently he said you know people most people go through their pilot training in a skyhawk they upgrade to a 182 and they never look back and that's like you you know you fly the 182 all the time yes it is and i i i'll admit i have my logbook open in front of me and it, it, it'd be kind of funny if you look at my totals um my total time right now is just shy of 350 hours and uh i'm at uh 275 of that is in a 182. That's awesome. <laughs> 18 of that is in a 172, and the rest is in a 152. Wow. <laughs> I wish. Uh, with a few, few random tail numbers thrown in thrown in here, but that's those are the top three. That's awesome. I, I, I actually like have a dream of maybe owning my own 182 someday so that I can just go places, you know, and not worry about, okay, if it fits, it goes, you know, that's kind of a thing. Yeah, if it fits in the door, it flies, and, yeah, you know, I'll talk about it more but uh, you know on the, the trip i'm gonna share today i took my 80 pound dog who just jumped in the back and laid in the back seat and enjoyed the whole time so really tell us about it so well i'm, I'm gonna start off with the mission for the day um uh we was tra- going from valkaria florida uh it's x-ray five niner uh all the way up to uh, manassas virginia was our final destination uh we made Two stops along the way, one for fuel and another for let's let's call it another side mission. People were going. It was me and my 
girlfriend at the time, Kim, and my dog, Bentley. And in a Cessna 182, uh, this is 2426 Romeo. I'll even go ahead and throw in the tail number. And we went from Valkyria, Florida. And our first stop uh, was Charlotte Monroe Executive. Uh, it's Echo Quebec Yankee is the identifier. Uh, it's just outside Charlotte's airspace, like just under the Bravo shelf uh, of Charlotte. Um, it was a very smooth morning flight. Um, probably my only concern was uh, there was some morning fog up north that, uh, you know, something I was watching on the on the weather and, and listening to different ADISs as we went along, uh, just waiting for it to clear up. Thankfully it did. There was no problems. It was probably well an hour before we touched down that uh, everything was clear in VFR. Um, so, yeah, that first stop was there at Charlotte Monroe. Um, smooth the whole way, um, and I actually did file IFR for that one, uh, basically to stay in practice, and uh, since we're going so close to all the Charlotte airspace, uh, thought it was better to do that. Uh, and then, so yeah, we fueled up, uh, walked Bentley around some. He, he gets a little little crazy. He knows when you're uh, coming into land, so he, he always pops up, usually about when the I don't know if it's a flap motor that wakes him up or something, but usually about the time you're putting the flaps down, he pops up and starts looking around and uh, unfortunately sometimes barks at anything that moves, which can catch you off guard every once in a while. It's probably but, the altitude. Uh, yeah, he, I'm sure he can feel it. Um, yeah. uh, we do have uh, mutt muffs for him to help with the sound, uh, and they, he seems to like those because he doesn't try to rip them off. First time that we took him up in the plane like we put the, the mutt muffs on he didn't want to have anything to do with him like when we first put him on and then we actually read the instructions of the mutt muffs and they said well if you wait until after you start the engine the first time and then put him on then the dog will understand and second time we tried that advice and it seemed to work from then on so nice. he gets it now I'm trying to think uh this is my first time at uh charlotte monroe landing there um one really cool thing at this airport is there's a quarry right on final approach uh for the when you're landing to the south and uh that was a very neat thing because there's this giant hole and then a runway right next to it so and there's you know you can see all the rock and everything so that was probably the, the most notable thing about that approach interesting now why you've made this trip to virginia a number of times why did you decide to go to monroe this time as opposed to other times so other times i've gone to virginia i you're, you're right I, I pretty much followed the coast like i remember you know, the first time I did this flight, you know, my my mom being my mom was was a little worried, and she's like, "How how how are you gonna know which way to go? And if you're going from Florida to the coast of Virginia, you you keep the water on the right. You know, it's that's that's how you navigate yeah. <laughs> if you're VFR. Uh, but um, this time we decided to go further inland because um, as, as I'll get into a little later, I had ulterior motives with the later stop, um, but uh, also the way I convinced Kim like that we're going a little bit longer route was that we wanted to fly over some terrain. Um, most of the flying I've done has been in Florida, and while Florida has some great things to see from the air, it does not have terrain. So Right, and I can see you're getting awfully close to the Rock, uh, Rockies. Uh, the Appalachian Mountains there, Great Smoky Mountains and all that stuff. Yes, so I got pictures up here. Are you, you looking at FlightAware, I assume? Um, um, I'm actually looking at Sky Vector, but yeah, okay, yeah. at the sectionals. Yep. So, um, so yeah, you, we, uh, pretty much right after departing, uh, Charlotte Monroe, we started to get into the hills. Uh, I mean, even Charlotte Monroe, I think was a couple hundred feet altitude 
um, on the ground, it was enough that I had to adjust and, you know, look it up, uh, which flying in Florida all the time, you can't just make the assumption that the airport's at, you know, less than 50 feet. Um, it was a pretty uneventful flight. It was very smooth morning. We, l we left at like 7.30 a.m. So it, uh, or we were like in the air by 7.30. So very smooth, lovely, clear morning. Uh, did you, did you file an instrument for that? I did file for that one. Um, that was more for, like I said, going into, uh, the Charlotte Bravo airspace. I just wanted to be, you know, I didn't have to, didn't want to have to worry about trying to get flight following and hand it off between all the different centers and everything. Um, VFR, which I've had trouble with Jacksonville, like they not taking handoffs when I'm on VFR flight following, but on IFR, obviously they're, they know who I am and where I'm going. So probably the, the, the worst thing about this, this whole day was, uh, the, the autopilot was, was broken in the aircraft. So I, I did hand fly the entire way. That's probably my biggest complaint, but you know, first world problems. <laughs> After stopping in, uh, Charlotte Monroe, we, uh, departed out to the north and west. Uh, our destination was uh, Ingalls Field, uh, I-N-G-A-L-L-S, uh, also known as Hot Springs, Virginia. Uh, it's Hotel Sierra Papa is the identifier. And this leg, we went VFR the whole way. This was kind of a sightseeing leg. And maybe 20 minutes after takeoff, we started seeing the foothills. So uh, for those of you that are kind of familiar with the more western North Carolina terrain, we flew from uh, Charlotte uh, to just west of Greensboro, North Carolina, and crossed over into Virginia, just west of Martinsville. And uh, that's really where the terrain was starting to get pretty high. Um, of course, this is pretty high on the East Coast, uh, meaning uh, three and 4,000 feet peaks. Uh, we were up at 6,500. We were at VFR. Um, and I will say, being a flatland flyer in Florida, the seeing the terrain starting to rise at you and is a different feeling. Now I was in a 182, 6,500 feet is no problem. Um, and higher is no problem. Get your but, attention. But it, it, it definitely gets your attention and you know, you, the, the, your pilot instincts are starting to kick in and say, okay, where am I going to land? Where am I put this thing down? If I have to that, that kind of thing, because you know, there, there isn't a field every quarter mile, like in Florida, at least in the, you know, central Florida, uh, you know, that type of thing where, you really don't have to look real hard. There's always a spot, you know, there are not many flat spots where we were flying. So it would have certainly been on a hill or, you know, something, you know, you've been picking the, the lesser of multiple evils versus the nice obvious spot. If that makes any sense. Sure. I, I distinctly remember once we got into Virginia, uh, like I said, the terrain was really picking up. And in particular, uh, what stuck out to me was the Roanoke area. Um, I, I have to recommend anyone who flies in that area or is near that area, go check it out. Uh, Roanoke is, it's, uh, there's mountains all around and Roanoke, the airport itself is like in a bowl down low. And uh, I was listening to Roanoke approach. We weren't on flight following or anything, but I was listening. I could hear a lot of vectoring going on around and, you know, there's certainly very defined approach paths because of the terrain around there. And uh, again, being, the Florida pilot, this is all new to me. So that was very interesting to listen to all this happen and, you know, air traffic control doing their, their magic. So, uh, I visited Roanoke years and years ago and it is a, it is a pretty area for, from the ground anyway. Uh, so yeah, I can see how it'd be very interesting to, to fly and descend into that. Yeah. 
well, we, we just flew over there. We didn't descend into it, but just when we kind of crossed over, you know, I, I, it was one of those, like I, I could see Roanoke, you know, coming up on the GPS map and, you know, looking for ahead on the charts and it's like, you know, I thought I'd see it by now. And then it's kind of, as soon as we came over, uh, you know, got close enough to one ridge, all of a sudden there it was. And it was like, oh, it's really down there in this in this valley or, you know, kind of bowl, mountains all around it. So we didn't see it till we we're almost on top of it. Wow. So, um, you know, I, I hadn't planned an approach there or anything, so I, I was just flying over. Um, but uh, I'm actually, I'm pulling up pictures on my computer now to remind me of this and it, it, definitely down in the bowl and, and all the, the ridge tops, it looked like waves on an ocean, like you're looking at the horizon. It's, just it was gorgeous huh. views we we could easily see 20 or 30 miles uh, if, if not more um you know I, I don't think there's a single report that day that you know showed visibility less than 10 miles um, i'm sure it was much greater than that um, cool. but that's one thing i remember about the blue mountains uh which is what they call you know, the mountains in western virginia is the the ridge tops look like waves in an ocean you know at, going out to the horizon I, I have to imagine that's some part of how they got their name. Uh, of course, probably when they're named, they weren't flying over in Cessnas, but the, uh, if you're standing on one peak looking to the next, I imagine it's a similar view. Uh, look through the pictures it here. Looks I gotta... like, it looks like um, as I'm on Sky Vector and doing a uh, just a direct line from from Monroe to Ingalls, I mean, you're, you almost passed directly over the... Uh, Roanoke, and so you're going right through the Charlie, or you're going directly over the Charlie, I guess. Yeah, we were at 6,500, so we were just it over the Charlie. To, it goes up to 5,200 feet, so yeah, you're just over the Charlie. Yep, that was kind of by design in the selection of the 6,500 feet altitude, and it <laughs> it got me uh, close to 2,000 feet above most of the, the peaks in the area, so at least a little bit I've read about, you know, mountain flying. If you're 2,000 feet above the peaks, that should keep you in smoother air, um, and that seemed to hold true. Uh, this this whole flight, at least to Ingalls Field, was was very smooth until uh, pretty much right descent for landing, and I can talk more about that because that was the landing was was an experience for both the pilot and passengers. But uh, go on. After passing Roanoke, and we're you know kind of going through these mountains here. Um, you know, we started to look for the airfield and we really didn't see it till we were almost on top of it. We weren't totally sure what it was because um, there were some neighboring peaks that had some clearings, but they didn't have an airport. So well, I'm going to stop a second, talk a little bit about Ingalls Field, just kind of what we're going into. Uh, Ingalls Field or Hot Springs, Virginia is the highest airport east of the Mississippi. It's at uh, 4,792 feet MSL elevation. Wow. It's a 5,000 foot runway. Um, I'm sorry, how long? 5,000 feet approximately. Okay. All right. So more than enough for 182, even sure. even at close to 5,000 feet elevation. Um, it was cold that day, so uh, I believe the density altitude was only like 800 feet. So, you know, kind of more ammo in the, the 182 don't care bucket. Uh, it'll climb. Sure. Um, I remember distinctly when we're getting close and hear the ATIS coming in, uh, the, the first weather report we heard was uh, winds were, I believe, 350. Uh, they were 19, gusting 27. So it was it, it was windy, <laughs> to put it, put it mildly. Yeah. Uh, 
And, you know, kind of what I'm thinking in the pilot here is like, okay, it's 40 some degrees off the runway, crosswind. Uh, and, you know, I burned off two hours worth of fuel. Uh, you know, there's only two of us and a dog in the plane. We don't have all that much stuff. So we're, we're pretty light as the 182 goes. Uh, it's like, okay, you know, how am I going to prepare for all this? And, you know, what are my options? Also, one thing that was new too was the descent planning. You know, I'm cheated a little bit with the GPS and the you know, vertical navigation, but, you know, when you're at 6,500 feet and you're landing at 4,900 feet, you don't have to do much descent planning. So, <laughs> Uh, when your cruise altitude is only, you know, eight or 900 feet above your pattern altitude, that, that, that's a different, uh, different concept than, than I was used to. Like, and I would think that like sight picture would be just really deceiving too. It, it was cause you're coming up and, um, I, you guys probably have to pull up a picture of this airport online just to, uh, to see it. It, it is, you know, a plain or a, a, a mountaintop that's been leveled, you know, for the 5,000 foot runway. And it's just sitting up there on top of the mountaintop. So it's, there's a cliff at either end. It's aside from being 5,000 feet long, long, it's like an aircraft carrier. You know, it's just this Island of airport uh, with mountains all around. So it's, it's very unique. It's very picturesque. Um, I, I loved it for that, that reason. And uh, you know, it was definitely a challenge for first time mountain flyer pilot. If, uh, I apologize to those guys that live out west, you know, these 4,000 feet, you know, or hills to them, but uh, they're they're mountains to us Floridians. That's a fact. So, um, anyway, probably when we got about seven, 800 feet lower than uh, our cruise altitude at 6,500, we really started to to feel the gusts of the winds, and that kind of goes along with the, you know, when we're there in 1,000 feet of the peaks. And like I said, the, the wind report was 19 knots gusting 25 to 27 and about 45 degrees off the runway. Uh, we ended up landing on runway 25. So um, the crosswind was from the right. And I kind of the angle we approached the airport, we pretty much entered just a, um, a left uh, base for 25. Because uh, like I said, we didn't have to descend much from our cruising altitude. So we pretty much went straight into base. Um, I only used 10 degrees of flaps with the high winds and a long runway and a Cessna 182, a light Cessna 182 at this point, because uh, the fuel burn off and we weren't heavily loaded otherwise. So I distinctly remember uh, the the base to final turn uh, because we were, like I said, the the airport's on a up on this mesa or you know up on this mountain uh, with a cliff at either end. So when I'm turning base to final, I'm easily 2,000 feet above ground, but I'm still only, you know, seven, 800 feet above the airport. So the, the terrain just rose up that quickly. So uh, it, it was a very unique sight picture uh, coming in on final. And I've got, I had, Kim was taking lots of pictures at the time because this was new to her too. And it was very interesting. So I've got lots of pictures of this approach and that's something I'll remember forever uh, coming in. We might need a few of those. Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to share them with you guys. Um, you put even have a picture notes. of uh, Bentley the dog still sleeping when we're at this point too. But yeah. Nice. <laughs> After the base to final turn, we were really starting to get rocked by the winds, and it was um, 
not only affecting us in roll, so I was, you know, fighting to keep the wings level or as level as possible. Uh, also fighting, like I said, this 47 degree crosswind from the right. Uh, so I'm trying to keep that uh, upwind wing low to stay in line with the runway. Um, so I was messing with the roll of the plane, but the the gustiness of the winds was really messing with our, our glide slope. So we were just up and down, you know, what felt like 15, 20 feet, you know. Um, and I, I was at times going, you know, I had the plane at full idle uh, to, you know, having to, to put in some power um, to kind of try to stabilize the approach as much as possible. Once I had the, the runway made, I went to full idle, and that's, of course, right when the nice gust kicked up and tried to pick us up or you know, keep us in the air. Felt like the plane didn't want to land, but I managed to set her down upwind wheel first and then downwind wheel just like you're supposed to do in a crosswind landing. Uh, it's, it's not on video, so this is my story, but I'm sticking to it. I love that uh, line. <laughs> the mains touch first, then the nose wheel. And uh, it was actually very smooth landing uh, for the for the conditions. And uh, I'll even get Kim to, to sign off on that one because she's been through a number of landings with me. So uh, if she says it's, it's good, then that's a winner in my book. So did you do anything prior to arriving, you know, prior, prior to departure from Valkyria to prepare for this airport. Like right now I'm looking at this on, on Google earth, uh, you know, and, and getting perspective shots, you know, looking at it and seeing the terrain, you know, would, would you have, did you do anything like that to kind of say, okay, well, this is what the side picture might look like when I kind of get there. Yes, I did. So I did it. The first thing I did was exactly what you're doing now is looked at on Google Earth. Uh, it's, you know, an amazing resource for seeing things from the air um, and getting that perspective and the layout of everything and landmarks nearby. Um, the other thing I did was I looked on YouTube because since this is a pretty picturesque airport, I expected the aviation community to have, you know, some videos out there of, of landing at this field. And I was not disappointed. There's some uh, multiple videos of the approach and landing. Uh, uh, to you know to both ends of the of the runway so i could you know depending on, i was prepared for either approach and uh that, that's kind of why kind of how i did my research and you know i knew some of the, the numbers ahead of time the field elevation things like that you know the normal what i'd class those under normal flight planning but uh, see that's kind of interesting because i've never done that at an airport that i was flying into before i've never looked up you know the the google satellite photos to look at an airport besides orientation or something like that but does never... it help did it help for you to do that do you feel like you were yeah, ahead I'm, of the I'm game curious now i thought i was uh i mean admittedly i the research i did uh for the airport uh was geared towards some of the other activities that we did at the airport um which i haven't broached yet but the uh because i want to know I had other motives for knowing the layout of the airport, but it certainly fed back into the, you know, learn, uh, figuring out the site picture and everything else to, to hopefully make a better landing and, you know, just feel more comfortable, I guess, with the whole experience and the whole plan. Um, we'll, we'll move on to the next topic here very, very quickly, but one last question. Um, I, I'm looking at this airport. Is there a second runway here in uh, a grass runway? It looks like there's a clearing uh, to the east side of the runway, and I'm just trying to figure out if that's a if that's a, supposed to be a grass runway or if it's just 
something some of their features. It was not listed as a as a grass runway, but I you know, from walking around at the airport, it certainly is enough area that I could have easily landed there in the 182 in the grass. It's it's nowhere near as level uh, as the runway, so that would be okay. Uh, a deterrence, but um, it's yeah. If you had an engine out or anything else, that's be more than fair game. Now, actually, I've seen that in a few other places. I've like even our airport that I fly out of at One Alpha Zero, Dallas Bay, and just north of Chattanooga, where they have essentially a grass strip, but it's not marked. It's not on any any of the charts or anything like that, but they have some cones set up and they mow it a little bit lower this whole section just for that reason, because they have a few people that want to land their little kit planes on this grass strip. Yeah. I mean, the, the grass is a certainly good enough condition. I don't think anyone would have had any trouble landing there. Um, this is November, so the the grass wasn't super green, uh, things like that. So maybe they hadn't mowed it because they weren't expecting that type of traffic. But during the summer, I certainly would not be surprised if if that was used that way. Well, it definitely looks like a beautiful airport, and I would not want to go off the end of the runway. Um, yeah, no. That first step's no. a doozy. <laughs> that could be bad. So tell yeah. us, Are you guys looking <laughs> yeah, at the pictures I'm of that? The video. Or I'm looking at uh, Google Earth, so. All right, so tell us what happened then. So uh, after we landed, and uh, I, I did have to tie the plane down uh, at least a little bit, cause, or chalk the wheels, because it, it was so windy on the ground. Um, well, Kim went off first to, I think, f- try to find a bathroom. Uh, and then um, I uh, grabbed a little, what's called a trinket, out of my bag uh, and the camera. And got Bentley out of the plane, who was raring to go because he had been cooped up for, you know, close to five hours now of flying. So he was ready to to get his walk on. Um, Poor guy. Uh, I mean, he, he slept the whole way. So, I mean, he, he was perfectly calm. But, yeah, he was yeah, ready to so go. It wasn't that bad. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, he's he's a great flyer. But, yeah, when, when it's time to walk, it's time to walk. So, uh, anyway, uh, once Kim was done, we... Uh, it's like, hey, let's, you know, these are great views around here. Let's go walk down the, the taxiway to the end. And we went uh, down to the other end of the runway. Um, so, you know, the opposite end from where we landed on 2-5 and uh, just walked the taxiway the whole way down and uh, sort of looking towards the west. Um, and first I it's like, you know, here, Kim, take a picture of me and Bentley. We got a good picture of me and Bentley you know, over the cliff and uh or with the cliff behind us and the great great scenery and uh we're walking along and it's like okay it's your turn here here's bentley gave her the leash and took a picture of her and got a good picture and then i had her turn around uh you know kind of like she's looking out over the over the cliff and uh bentley actually very cutely and i didn't mean prompt him to do this you know sat down and was looking out same direction as her and uh I took a couple pictures, and while she was turned around, I got down on one knee and pulled that little trinket out of my pocket, which happened to be a ring, and asked her to turn around. And nice. At that point, asked her to be my <laughs> wife. And Aww. so I, I won't say exact words I said. That's between her and I. But uh, anyway, uh, she. 
was at first very, I, I, I caught her off guard and that was, <laughs> um, that was part of the plan. If, if that can be planned in there was to catch her off guard and, uh, nice choked up a little bit, but she said yes. And, uh, we hugged and did everything. And then, uh, of course, Bentley was starting to run around and I think got us, got both of us tangled in the leash, which was kind of comedic at the same time. That's actually hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, so he was obviously happy for us if, if he knew what was going on, which I think he did. But anyway, uh, we, we then took some selfies and, you know, did that kind of thing and took some pictures. Um, got a few pictures of the plane in there, of course, because, you know, that helped make the whole adventure, uh, made the whole day. And uh, then we had the fun experience of trying to get cell phone service on the top of a mountain and the middle of nowhere in Western Virginia to try to call our parents. Uh, we were successful in making a Wi-Fi call from the FBO uh, to both our parents to, to tell them. Uh, my family knew that this was all planned. Uh, her family, of course, was, was all surprised, but uh, we managed to get through and after taking some more pictures and the uh, airport manager was there. He was helping another guy and he saw we were happy. And he's like, you guys look really happy. What are you doing? And it's like, we just got engaged. And he's like, Oh, we host weddings here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, that's awesome. a great offer, but <laughs> jump the gun a little bit there. Uh, so that, that was a, some good comedic relief there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm getting off of my, story here I, I was just reliving the memory so it's emotional and fun and all this at the same time so ask me what you guys want to know i'm losing my train of thought i love it man this is fantastic so how long how long were you on the ground there this is a great story i love this uh we were there maybe a little over an hour it was you know it it was cold and windy so that was if i had to make a complaint about this it, it was not particularly comfortable to be outside but okay um but yeah, we let's say we, we were warm-hearted after pop the question, so that that helped. Uh, so she had no idea. She had no idea. Um, that is fantastic. That's so hard to pull off. Yeah. So the the factors I I had working for me were you know I I I, I well I'll, a little backstory is she caught me looking up the the airfield and you know looking at the YouTube videos and Google Earth but beforehand you know because. But thankfully, I guess I do that often enough. She didn't think twice about it because I asked her afterwards, like, you caught me looking at pictures of this place and, you know, doing this stuff. And she's like, I just thought you were flight planning. I didn't think no. anything of it. So, Yeah, my wife would have said the same thing. Or she would have yeah. thought the same exact thing. You do this stuff all it's the like, time. Oh, that's just normal. You looking at planes. It's, it's like, you know, you always have trade a plane or controller up. You know, it's, it's that type of thing. It's, it's just always open. So how many times have you made this trip up to up to Virginia with her? Uh, with her, I have made the trip. This was the third trip, I believe. Okay, so the first two trips, I'm guessing you followed almost the same plan, or maybe the exact same airports. Like I don't, because you have to make a fuel stop. Yeah, uh, the, the previous times we left Valkyria, we went to Lumberton, North Carolina, uh, and then we landed in West Point, Virginia, which is uh, Foxtrot Yankee Juliet is the identifier. That's the airport closest to my parents' house, which is. Uh, 
where we went. Uh, this day was a, a little different because we we're going to Manassas uh, and we we're actually going to uh, see my sister uh, who had gotten us tickets to a Chicago Blackhawks game. Uh, Kim is from the Chicago area and is a huge Blackhawks fan. Uh, she's in the other room watching the Blackhawks now, actually. And uh, so this was, she had never seen them in person. So that was kind of the, the premise, which I think helped feed the surprise of the proposal was okay, that, so that the, the mission help. was yeah. we're flying to Virginia to or to Manassas to go see a Blackhawks game and because they were playing the Capitals in, in D.C. And uh, Manassas was the easiest airport for where my sister was and and uh, and getting to the uh, the arena for the hockey game. So uh, nice. with that premise, I, I said, well, so, let's you know, let's go further west to fly over the mountains and, you know, get some scenery on our way and. Uh, I don't think she knew how far out of the way it was, and I claimed that there were, you know, nasty headwinds the whole way uh, to convince her to leave early so we'd have time uh, on the ground at, at Hot Springs. So there ended up being a, f- a little bit of headwinds, but but we we had enough time. Nice, well done, sir. That's fantastic. I love it. So, um, you know, I, I guess the question then becomes. You know, if, if if a person is on this kind of a mission and they know that this is going down, <laughs> how do you first stay on your game while you're still flying the airplane to get there? And then how do you not get, how do you remember, remember to stay on your game after it's, the deed is done? Because you still have another leg to go to get to Manassas. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I will say the, the, the first leg, uh, I guess my, in terms of my focus, I, I was just on my game because it was like I filed IFR. I you know, had all this planned out. I mean, it, granted, it was the easiest leg of the whole trip, but, you know, uh, you know, I was at my highest energy. Uh, I, I was in the zone and focused. And, uh, you know, I if you look at my track on FlightAware, like I held that line. I You know, if you zoom in enough, you might could tell I didn't have an autopilot, but I was on, on my game. I held that line. I'm proud of myself for that. You know, it was one of those I had to send to my CFI or CFII guide to management training. And it's like, look, this is, I did this without an autopilot, you know, anyway. <laughs> but um, then uh, the second leg, I was uh, the, there, there are a few butterflies. We'll, we'll say the, from Charlotte area up to Inglesfield. But um, when I, we started to see the terrain and, you know, the, just the, the beauty of that area kind of came into its own that, that actually helped tremendously because I was, I was just ecstatic and I was like, oh, this is gonna be great. Like the weather's great, you know, everything else. And you know, I've been nervous for days because I was, you know, this was this whole plan was obviously heavily dependent on the weather, uh, and you know, everything was working out and kind of going my way. So it was like that, that gave me a confidence boost, but also allowed me to have some fun too. So uh, with a few minutes of you know, making sure I was in the zone for for that landing and the gusty winds, uh, you know, I. Got to enjoy the moment um, with with my fiance now, uh, and uh, enjoy that. And but the biggest challenge, and I think you hit the nail on the head, was I had one more leg to go. Was was uh, going into Manassas. This is would have been my first time dealing with the DC uh, special yeah, going to the, uh, airspace going to the area freeze, SFRA. Right? Are you going to the freeze or just outside of the freeze? Uh, we, we were not going to the freeze, so that's one reason I chose Manassas. Uh, the, another reason I chose Manassas was it was a towered airport uh, just for... Uh, Makes it easier to get in and out of. Exactly. Uh, with the the rules guarding the SFRA, uh, that made it easier because uh, Leesburg uh, would have worked as well. 
um, you know, for our ground transportation and whatnot, but um, it was untowered. And um, one benefit of having your instrument ticket is if you're not going to the freeze, uh, IFR operations aren't any different in the DC airspace. So I, I use that tool um, to, you know, and filed IFR from uh, Hot Springs to uh, Manassas uh, to get in. So I didn't have to do any of the special VFR procedures, uh, which to me was easier because, you know, you're trained to do IFR. The VFR procedures are special in that area. So it's I, IFR uh, uh, you know, as normal business. So, it, you know, your instincts kick in, your training kicks in. So I, I kind of relied on that uh, after the fact because, you know, I was I was on cloud nine from her saying yes and being so happy and everything else. And um, that, you know, getting back into the focus, it, sure. it, it took a moment. So uh, I, I distinctly remember getting down and uh, another picture you know, or a view that will stick in my mind is, uh, I'm waiting on the taxiway, uh, you know, which is parallel to runway 25 if you're looking at pictures, and you're looking out to the east, and the taxiway is right there on the cliff. So in, in the taxiway kind of does a 180 and goes into the right. you know, departure end of 25, and you're sitting there, and you're at the highest point around. So the train just falls away from you, and you're on the taxiway. You're on the ground. The engine's at idle. You know, it. Uh, I... I, I that was a moment where I took as a pilot, it's like, okay, I need a second to look at this because this is, this is gorgeous. And two, where's the camera? I got to get a picture of this so I can tell everybody about it. <laughs> and then, you know, three, it's like, okay, emergency break or the parking brakes on, right? <laughs> because that's yeah. cliff right there. <laughs> um, so, we, you know, we stopped there, right? The whole short line. And that, that's where I, Took a second to give my give myself time to enjoy it, give myself time to take a picture, and and then and give yourself you know, time to get back into the groove of yep, flying. Exactly. So I, you know, stopped, took a moment, uh, kind of got over, not got over, but you know, uh, suppressed my excitement a little bit, got the focus on, and got into my routine of setting the plane up for an IFR flight. Um, the nice thing about being at the highest point around was I could talk to the approach control right on the ground to get my clearance oh, really? on the ground. So that oh, was a nice. benefit. So got the clearance. Uh, I could hear the traffic the whole time. And uh, there was one plane in front of me that departed IFR. So I got to hear, you know, I, actually he was kind of the one who clued me in that I could just call approach right on the ground because uh, he, he was a local. It was a Baron, I believe, that uh, took off in front of me. And... Uh, and he was actually nice enough to give me a pyre up that it was very bumpy right on departure, which I kind of expected. But, you know, pyre ups are always great for, for those, uh, the pilots coming along next. Uh, and Gives yeah. you a chance to warn your passengers. That too. And, yeah, and Kim has flown with me enough that, you know, she was listening. She's like, yeah, it's going to be bumpy. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think of other things I remember sitting on the ground. Like after getting the clearance, and I remember going over the, you know, kind of your last instrument check before going, you know, I'm checking to make sure my DG is aligned with the compass and everything. And I distinctly remember looking at the altimeter and going, yep, it's still reading nearly 4,800 feet. And that, that's still different. That's still not, doesn't feel natural <laughs> being a Florida oh. flyer. So, uh, and my uh, given cruising altitude was, uh, was 5,000 feet. So, I was only climbing, or I'm sorry, initial climb was only 5,000 feet. So I was only given, you know, basically a 300 foot climb on departure. So that was an interesting thing. Um, I 
kind of questioned that when I went and looked back at the minimum in root altitudes later, and I was like, that doesn't totally make sense to me, but uh, it was visual, uh, and like I said, the airport is pretty much the highest point around, but uh, I guess they didn't consider it mountainous terrain to give you that 2,000 feet above highest point MEA. Uh, anyway, that's my IFR chart reading coming back to, to haunt me. But uh, you, you, you talked about something about this out of your airports, about being towered and non-towered, um, only because a few people recently have asked me this. I mean, just recently I've had like three people ask me this. Do you prefer towered or non-towered airports? Uh, I'm going to go with it depends on my mission. So if I'm sightseeing and kind of want to be on my own, I'm going to prefer untowered airports, uh, particularly for fuel stops and other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like uh, if I'm going IFR and, and you know need to get some place, then I'm going to prefer a towered airport. Well, I guess IFR makes sense. But even, um, well, I guess for exa- as an example, uh, I fly out of a non-towered airport, but... I enjoy, if I'm doing sightseeing and stuff like that, talking to Chattanooga, um, being in their Class C, and letting them know where I am and they know where, I, where I'm where i at, you know, vice versa. And it's just a neat, it's, it's more comforting to know well, that they know what I'm doing, where I'm at, and that I have a certain transponder code and et cetera, that, you know, if I'm flying around downtown, that they know exactly where I am. Oh, yeah, the... Um, I, I guess I wouldn't equate towered airports to flight following and things like that. That when I'm, I, I get flight well, following yeah, and no, other no, no, stuff no. When, and when, whenever I can. Yeah, two different things. Yep. But um, I, I have had a lot of passengers ask, like when I fly out of Valkyrie or other untowered airports, it's, they're like, you. The the more common question is, where's the control tower? Why don't you? Why aren't you talking to the control tower? And you know, it's well, there isn't one, and that kind of prompts a whole explanation. Uh, but you know, then when we do talk to air traffic control with their flight following or, you know, to open our IFR flight plan or whatever. I, I do sense a little more comfort from my passengers when they hear the, those, all those radio transactions happening. Cause I, I think it gives them a sense that, you know, someone that knows where we are is watching over us and knows what we're doing. So, and you know, that you get the same feelings as a pilot too, that you, you're talking to somebody and there's someone, you know, within reach, at least vocally that uh, if, if you need something. Sure. And I mean, I've, I've, flown into and out of airports that are very busy with no tower and it's you know and going back to what i just said it's kind of nice to be able to have that tower tell you you know what's going on around you and that they know that and that they know where you are more than anything else i think yep and i actually you know because i'm i'm training out of a uh towered airport there at melbourne you know i don't mind I actually enjoy having a, uh, another set of eyes. Obviously, you know, air traffic controllers are not infallible, and they can make mistakes, so I always check. But it's nice having another set of eyes. I've seen some people Absolutely. do some really boneheaded and dumb things at both airports, um, at, at uh, towered airports and at untowered airports. So... Um, we actually had, we actually had, you know, incidents at, at both airports during my primary flight training. And so, um, it, for me, it's just, it's another set of eyes and, and that, that gives me a little bit of comfort. Which, which I love, although I do love being able to do, you know, five touch and goes at an airport without talking to tower. 
So, right. Sure. I mean, that's that's kind of my, you know. There, so there's some good and bad if you're training. It's nice to go to an untowered airport and do four or five, you know, touch and goes, and work on your landings instead of having to be in the system and, you know, make right yeah. traffic, make left traffic. You know, instead of worrying about talking to them, you're just worrying about focusing on your, you know, your muscle memory of of your landings and find a pattern. Where are you at at base? Where are you at at final? So, so yeah. Kirby, how was your your uh, trip into Manassas? Uh, the, the biggest thing that sticks in my mind is it was bumpy. So we weren't as high altitude, and uh, we were on the the downwind side of all the mountains and terrain that was falling away. So I, I think that's what what fed into the the bumpiness. Uh, I distinctly remember. Um, the the biggest difference, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of used to some bumpiness in the summertime in Florida when we get those, you know, and if you're flying in the afternoon, uh, as those thunderstorms are, you know, always building, uh, you know, you'll get up updrafts and downdrafts, but they'll be maybe three to four seconds long each before you you know you switch from an updraft to downdraft. Wow. The but on this flight, I remember it was 30, 40 seconds of updraft followed by 30, 40 seconds of downdraft. Uh, long enough that I was getting tired and my instincts say trim the airplane. Uh, and it, it kind of took me learning, uh, you know, how long this was, you know, 15 minutes into this that, you know, I would just automatically start to trim because I knew my arms would get tired. Uh, you got to. It's from trying to fight it. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll have to look at the, like the, uh, my ground speed on that flight from uh flight aware, you know, other tracking websites that, um, you know, we went from, I think, a high of, like, I, I remember seeing close to 160 knots ground speed, which in a 182 is very fast, to as low, to, fast. to under 100 knots. Like, it was that much difference wow. uh, you know, on the same flight. So, you know, it, flying the same direction. It's not like we were turning around and, you know, going from a tailwind to a headwind or vice versa. So uh, it was just the updrafts and downdrafts doing that to us. Uh, so that that's the very distinct thing I remember uh, about the first, first two-thirds of the flight um i could not figure out if there was a pattern like if we were always in a downdraft like when we were over a valley or always an updraft when we were over a a peak i I couldn't figure out a pattern that way i was looking for one just to try to learn i guess a little bit about mountain flying maybe someone's more experienced Mm -hmm. uh can tell me down the road but uh, i couldn't figure a pattern out but i that was the biggest thing that surprised me is just how long the updrafts and downdrafts were last because it was i have a funny feeling we're going to have some listeners are going to write in and tell us about mountain flying. Right I hope so. Cause I, 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 I want to learn cause uh, it, it was an experience. Uh, I, I would I love mean, to do that. I would love to do a mountain flying course and go out West and. Oh yeah. That. That'd be interesting to see just for the experience more than anything. Yeah. And you know, one of the, one of the things I took in consideration just for this whole mission was, you know, am, am I capable of doing this mountain flying and, uh, the things I considered was I knew it was going to be cooler. I knew it was in a pretty, uh, you know, in a high-performance airplane, a 182, where it'd be lightly loaded, and we more, you know, certainly had the capability of climbing well above any of the mountains because you know, the peaks were all below 5,000 feet, uh, although they're getting close to, but um, 5,000 feet. But you know, we could easily climb well above them uh, and still be comfortable, you know, without oxygen or anything. So uh, that's. That's kind of what kind of figured my decisions. Like this would be a good get your feet wet for mountain flying, um, but still something I didn't feel like I had to go find a CFI and be like, show me how to do this, or you know, show me how to be safe in doing this. So 
that was my thoughts at least. Uh, you know, and I did manage to pull it off, but of course that doesn't mean that that works for everybody. It but, sounds like you managed risk well, and that's what that's what all pilotage is. And as far as I'm concerned, is managing risk because you know what's the safest thing to do is never leave the house. But you're not going to do that. You know, it sounds to me like you did a good job of managing risk. Yeah, I I think I did that. I mean, I thought about all this ahead of time, and I even talked to some of it over with Kim to see how she felt about it and warned her. It's like, look, you know, mountain flying is different than flying over Florida and kind of made her aware of some of the risks that, you know, there is potential for these updrafts and downdrafts that could exceed the performance of the airplane. But, you know, we do have a high performance airplane. We can, we should be able to outperform anything we should see. And, you know, if the winds are too high that we're getting anywhere near those limits, then we call it off. So, and go another route. So, but Those are all the things I, mean, I was balancing. Still, I mean, you're, you've been flying in in a lot of different airplanes. Is the 182 still high performance for you? I would say yes. I mean, it's the highest performance okay. one I'm I've flown sure. yeah, of, any, of any hours. And, uh, you know, as far as TSE. Yeah. Uh, okay. The 182 is, is by no means a speed demon, but it can climb. Uh, you know, even with the yes. two of us in, in full fuel, uh, in this cold weather, I was seeing 1,500 feet a minute or better at times. So it, uh, on initial climb out, at least uh, 500 feet a minute was was no question. So, uh, is that one of your favorite airplanes as far as what you typically or what you do fly? Yes, I mean for the around Florida mission, it's great because it's you know it, it's very easy to fly. Uh, you know, it's the complexity is not much more than a 172. You know, you're pretty much just adding a constant speed prop. Um, it's, you know, more stable for IFR training and things like that. Um, and, you know, you can fly it at 172 fuel burns if you, you know, stay on top of it. So, so I, I know Dave probably has a half a dozen questions already about all this, but you were talking about IFR training. Why would you not do that in a 172 to save the cost? I'm just curious. Uh, the biggest thing for me personally was I'm part of a flying club, and okay. our 172 is not IFR certified. Okay, um, never so mind. That that was pretty much you know that that's the line in the sand right there. Of course, that uh, answers I mean, the question. Yeah, I mean certainly there are other many other 172s like where Dave trains and plenty in the area because you know Florida has lots of flight training that I could have done sure. that, uh, but I wanted to stay in my club and you know our 182 had an autopilot and an IFR certified GPS. Uh, okay. And I wanted to, you know, certainly learn the the GPS because that's where everything's going these days. So it made the most sense at the time, and the extra hourly rate was, you know, something I had to accept, I guess. But being in the club, I, you know, the 182 rates were comparable to 172 rates elsewhere. Yeah, you have a pretty good rate on that 182 in your club. So yep. Um, so, yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> Mike says I have a bunch. Stole of... it. <laughs> Yeah, Mike says I have a bunch of questions. I think I really only have one, and I'm just going to kind of let you wrap this up um, before we before we uh, close up shop here. But you know, what are your big takeaways from this from this mission, from this flight? And it, I mean, it sounds to me like everything went as you expected it, uh, and, and that's not uh, that that that's obviously because of a lot of the planning that went into it and the forethought. So, what are your takeaways, and would you do anything different if you did this again? 
uh, I, I will say I, I, I would change a, a couple little things. Um, and they're kind of stuff I had to learn, uh, not the hard way, but you know, you had to have the benefit of hindsight. So uh, probably my biggest mistake of the day was, uh, it was a long day. So we did all of this flying. You know, it was uh, seven hours on the hops uh, total uh, when we came into Manassas. And uh, then we still had multiple hours of stuff planned that evening. So although we made made it to everything on time and you know all the times worked out, uh, I was exhausted. And uh, the the plan for the trip had me flying again the next morning. Uh, granted, for less than an hour, but but still, um, you know, it, uh, I was pretty wiped. So if anything, I I think you the the lesson learned is you know the activities after you fly should be taken into account for, you know, kind of your mental energy planning, if that makes sense. Um, because I certainly was, was getting near my limit at the end of the day. And it was fun. You know, I think that's what made the difference was, you know, I was on such a emotional high from her saying yes to then going to going out and having fun, seeing the, uh, the hockey game and, uh, seeing my sister and family, and of course, making phone calls on my family saying, what had happened, recounting the story and everything. So that helped me get, get through it. But I was exhausted when, when the time came to go to bed. I had no trouble falling asleep that night. Other than that, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with, with how everything worked out. Um, and I'm, I'm glad I, you know, I'm glad my backup plan didn't get tested. Cause I don't know if it would have stood up as well as my primary plan, but, um, backup plan being what happens if she didn't say yes. Uh, that or, uh, if weather, so I didn't even get the chance to, to ask. So, okay. And, and I guess that's the thing, you know, that, that asking somebody to marry you is, is one of those questions you don't, as much as is possible, you don't ever want to ask without already knowing the, (laughs) knowing the answer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You and Kim have been together a long time. I know that. Yeah. It's, it's been five Uh, years. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm super glad for you guys, um, but uh, I, I and I'm not asking you to speculate, but you know this is one of those things that what would you have done if if she hadn't said yes? Because now you're in a completely different mental state, you know, and I'm sure you'd have managed, but whoo man, that would have been a tough one to do. So good job, and uh, thanks for sharing that story, man. I'm super excited for you and Kim, and uh, just uh, I'm giddy about it. And what a fun place, what a fun story to tell people about how you got engaged. I love it. That's awesome. Wait, hold on. When's the wedding? <laughs> uh, still still in the works. So uh, uh, if you guys want me back for another episode, I can tell you about all our flying adventures to go see wedding venture, venues. But, you know, that that's I have to be invited back. And I don't know if I've entertained well, you enough. You're always invited back, number one. Number two, <laughs> when we have a date and a location, we're going. I think we're going to announce it on one of the podcasts. I think maybe and one of these all times of our I'll, listeners, yeah, will just show up and crash the wedding. Yeah, I don't know if I can afford to feed all your listeners. <laughs> all, well, there's only really? seven of us. Just, well, there's Dave and I, <laughs> and all of our guests, <laughs> and then you. I think we'll figure it out. Uh, maybe, maybe next time you come on the show, we'll have to share the story that of the time that you and me and Beth and I don't remember the other person who was in the plane with us. We all flew down to the. Uh, Seafood festival at, at uh, uh, Florida City, I think. Yeah, uh, his name was Justin. Nice. Yeah. Jackson. Yeah, yeah, that was a Justin, lot of fun. Yeah, Ju- I'm sorry, Justin. Yeah, yeah that was that's, a lot of fun. That's coming that up in a couple of weeks, by the way. Is it really? Are yeah. you guys going again? I believe so. Um, 
the, the biggest thing is the plane will be going into annual, uh, the 182 specifically will be going into annual like a week and a half before that. So I hope we get it done. But Come get me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're a little bit out of the way there, Mike. <sighs> Wisconsin. Yeah, I know. I'm currently in Wisconsin. Yeah, that was a fun flight. Hey, Kirby, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, I hope it's been Kirby, that was awesome. Entertaining. Yeah. Good. And congratulations, man. That's awesome. Super. God, fun. more than anything, congratulations. Thank you, guys. It means a lot, and uh, I had a great time. I know Kim did, too, uh, to share a few pictures with you. Uh, they're on Facebook and whatnot, but uh, be out to send them along, a few along to share with the viewers if you guys have a website or something. Sure thing. We'll put them up on. Yeah, we will. Uh, we'll put them up there on the site for you. Cool. And and if you want, Kirby, we can when you guys finalize everything, we can put your uh, your wedding wish list on the site too, so our listeners can send you gifts for your wedding. So, so there's a really big question I have about that. Um, do you know any avionics <laughs> shops that uh, do uh, wedding registries? <laughs> Um, actually, I'll, I'll be very honest. I thought I just heard of somebody that did this, and I, I, I don't bet, know if I it bet was... we could set one up at Fallon Aviation. We'll do something. I'm sure, we can you. do that there, or 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 talk to uh, someone else. I'm sure somebody would be more than happy to. Uh, there's a few places I'm sure that we can set up, or even just do a gift card or something, yeah, or I'm, a cash card. I, you know, I'm mostly joking because I don't have an airframe to, to put the avionics in yet, but you know. That, you got to start somewhere. Oh, right? I'm sorry. We're talking about avionics <laughs> and not like checklists. Okay, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> I think you're talking to the wrong guys. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you guys for having me. I, I've had fun and uh, enjoyed sharing their story and hope hope others out there enjoy hearing about it and get out there and fly. Kirby, we love hearing it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Logbook Memories. If you'd like to share a memory from your logbook, drop us an email to stories at logbookmemories.com. That's stories at logbookmemories.com. And since we are just starting out, it would mean the world to us if you left a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you really want to help us out, maybe write a short review telling the world how awesome we are. Don't forget to share us with your friends. We'll catch you on the next episode of Logbook Memories.